0: The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. R. Tolkien Continuing the story of The Hobbit Chapter 9. The Great River Frodo was roused by Sam. He found that he was lying well wrapped under tall grey-skinned trees in a quiet corner of the woodlands on the west bank of the great river Anduin. He had slept the night away, and the grey of morning was dim among the bare branches. Gimli was busy with a small fire near at hand. They started again before the day was broad not that most of the company were eager to hurry southwards they were content that the decision which they m- must take at latest when they came to roras in the tendrock isle still lay some days ahead and they let the river bear them on at, at its own pace having no desire to hasten towards the perils that lay beyond whichever course they took in the end aragorn let them drift with the stream as they wished husbanding their strength against weariness to come but he insisted that at least they should start early each day and journey on far into the evening for he felt in his heart that time was pressing and he feared that the dark lord had not been idle while they lingered in the nonetheless they saw no sign of any enemy that day nor the next the dull gray hours passed without event as the third day of their voyage wore on the lands changed slowly the trees thinned and then felled altogether on the eastern bank to the, their left they saw a long formless slope stretching up and away towards the sky. Brown and withered they looked, looked, as if fire had passed over them, look, leaving no living blade of green, an unfriendly waste even without a broken tree or a bold stone to relieve the emptiness. They had come to the brown lands that lay, vast and desolate, between southern Mirkwood and the hills of the Emin Mule. What pestilence or war or even deed of the enemy had so blasted all that region, even Aragorn could not tell. Upon the west to the right the land was treeless also, but it was flat, and in many places green with wide plains of grass. On this side of the river they passed forests of, re- of great reeds so tall that they shut out all the views to the west, as the little boats were rustling by along, um, on, along their fluttering borders. Their dark, withered plumes bent and tossed in the light-cold airs, hissing softly and sadly. Here and there through openings Frodo could catch sudden glimpses of rolling meads, and far beyond the hills in the sunset, and away on the edge of sight a dark line, where marched the southernmost ranks of the misty mountains. There was no sign of living moving things, save birds. Of these there were many, small fowl whistling and piping in the reeds, but they were seldom seen. Once or twice, the travelers heard the rush and whine of swan swan wings, and looking up, they saw a great phalanx streaming along the sky. Swans, said Sam, and mighty big ones, too. Yes, said Aragorn, and they are black swans. How wide and empty and mournful this country looks, said Frodo. I always imagined that as one journeyed south, it got warmer and merrier until winter was left behind forever. But we have not journeyed far south yet answered aragorn it is still winter and we are far from the sea here the world is cold and until the sudden spring and we may yet have snow again for away down in the bay of belphalas to which Enduin runs it is warm and merry maybe or would be but for the enemy but here we are not above sixty leagues i guess south of the south farthing away in your shire hundreds of long miles yonder you are looking now southwest across the north plains of the Riddermark, Rohan, the land of the horse lords. Ere long we shall come to the mouth of the Limlight that runs down from Fangorn to, the, to join the great river. That is the north boundary of Rohan, and of old all that lay between Limlight and the white mountains belong to the Rohirrim. It is a rich and pleasant land, and its grass has no rival, but in these evil days folk do not dwell by the river or ride off into its shores. Anduin is wide, yet the orcs can shoot their arrows far across the stream, and of late it is said they have dared to cross the water and raid the herds and studs of Rohan. Sam looked from bank to bank uneasily. The trees had seemed hostile before, as if they harbored secret eyes and lurking dangers. Now he wished that the trees were still there. He felt the company was too naked, afloat in little open boats, in the midst of shelterless lands, and on a river that was the frontier of war. In the next day or two, as they went on, Born steadily southwards, this feeling of insecurity grew on all the company. For a whole day they took to their paddles and hastened forward. The banks slid by. Soon the river broadened and grew more shallow. Long stony beaches sat, lay upon the east, and they were and there were gravel shoals in the water, so that careful steering was needed. The brown land rose into bleak woods, over which flowed a chill air from the east. On the other side of the meads had become roving downs of withered grass amidst the land of Fen and tussock. Frodo shivered, thinking of the lawns and fountains, the clear sun and gentle rains of Lothlorien. There was, little speech and no, there was little speech and no laughter in any of the boats. Each member of the company was busy with his own thoughts. The heart of Legolas is running under the stars of a summer night in some northern glade of the beech woods. Gimli was fingering gold in his mind and wondering if it were fit to be wrought into the housing of the lady's gift. Mary and Pippin in the middle boat were ill at ease, for Boromir sat muttering to himself, sometimes biting his nails as if some restlessness of doubt consumed him, sometimes seizing a paddle and driving the boat close beyond Aragorn's. Then Pippin, who sat in the bow looking back, caught a queer gleam in his eye as he peered forward gazing at Frodo. Sam had long ago made up his mind that, though boats were maybe not as dangerous as he had been brought up to believe, they were far more comfortable than even he had imagined. He was cramped and miserable. "'having nothing to do but stare at the winter lands crawling, "'crawling by and the gray water on either side of him. "'Even when the paddles were in use, "'they did not trust Sam with one. "'As dusk drew down on the fourth day, "'he was looking back over the bowed hand, heads "'of Frodo and Argonne in the following boats. "'He was drowsy and longed for camp "'in the feel of earth under his toes. "'Suddenly something caught his sight. "'At first he stared at it listlessly. Then he rubbed. "'Then he sat up and rubbed his eyes.' When he looked again, he could not see it any anymore. The night they, that night, they camped on a small yacht close to the western bank. Sam lay rolled in blankets beside Frodo. "'I had a funny dream an hour or two before we stopped, Mr. Frodo,' he said. "'Or maybe it wasn't a dream. Funny it was anyway.' "'Well, what was it?' said Frodo, knowing that Sam would not settle down until he had told his tale, whatever it was. "'I haven't seen or thought of anything to make me smile since we left L- Lothlorien.' It wasn't funny that way, Mr. Frodo. It was queer, all wrong if it wasn't a dream, and you had best hear it. It was like this. I saw a log with eyes. The log's all right, said Frodo. There are many in the river, but leave out the eyes. That I won't, said Sam. 'Twas the eyes as made me sit up, so to speak. I saw what I took out to be a log floating along in the half-light behind Gimli's boat, but I didn't give much heed to it, Then it seemed as if the log was slowly catching us up and that was peculiar, as you might say, seeing as we were all floating on the stream together. Just then I saw the eyes, two pale sort of points, shiny-like, on a hump at the near end of the log. What's more, it wasn't a log, for it had paddle feet, like a swan's almost, only they seemed bigger and kept dipping in and out of the water. That's when I sat right up and rubbed my eyes, meaning to give a shout, if it was still there when I had rubbed the jaws out of my head. For the whatever it was was coming along fast now and getting close behind Gimli. But whether those two lamps spotted me moving and staring, or whether I came to my senses, I don't know. When I looked again, it wasn't there. Yet I think I caught a glimpse, with the tail of my eye as the saying is, of something dark shooting under the shadow of the bank. I couldn't see no more eyes, though. I said to myself, Dreaming again, Sam Gimge, I said. And I said, no more just then. But I've been thinking since, and now I'm not so sure. "'What do you make of it, Mr. Frodo?' "'I should make nothing of it but a log in the dusk and sleep in your eyes, Sam,' said Frodo, "'if this was the first time that those eyes had been seen. "'But it isn't. "'I saw them away back north before we reached Lorien, "'and I saw a strange creature with eyes climbing to the fleet that night. "'Halder saw it, too. "'And do you remember the report of the elves that went after the orc band?' "'Ah,' said Sam, "'I do, and remember more, too.' "'I don't like my thoughts, but thinking of one thing and another "'in Mr. Bilbo's stories and all, "'I fancy I could put a name on the creature, at a guess. "'A nasty name. Gollum, maybe.' "'Yes, that is what I have feared for some time,' said Frodo. "'Ever since the night on the fleet, "'I suppose he was lurking in Moria and picked up our trail then, "'but I hoped that our St. Lorian would have thrown him off the scent again. "'The miserable creature must have been hiding in the woods by the load, "'watching us start off.' "'That's about it,' said Sam.' And we'd better be a bit more watchful ourselves, or we'll feel some nasty fingers round our necks one of these nights if we ever wake up to feel anything. And that's what I was leading up to. No need to trouble Strider or the others tonight. I'll keep watch. I can sleep tomorrow, being no more than luggage in a boat, as you might say. I might, said Frodo, and I might say luggage with eyes. You shall watch, but only if you promise to wake me halfway towards morning if nothing happens before then. In the dead hours, Frodo came out of a deep, dark sleep to find Sam shaking him. It's a shame to be waking you, whispered Sam, but that's what you said. There's nothing to tell, or not much. I thought I heard some soft plashing and a sniffing noise a while back, but you hear a a lot of such queer noise sounds by a river at night. He lay down, and Frodo sat up, puddled in his blankets, and fought off his sleep. Minutes or hours passed slowly, and nothing happened. Frodo was just yielding to the temptation to lie down again when a dark shape, hardly visible, floated close to one of the moored boats. A long whitish hand could be dimly seen as it shot out and grabbed the gunwale. Two two pale lamp-like eyes shone coldly as they peered inside, and then they lifted and gazed up at Frodo on the yacht. They were no more than a yard or two away, and Frodo heard the soft hiss of intake and breath. He stood up, drank stink from its sheath, and faced the eyes. Immediately their light was shut off. There was another hiss and a splash, and the dark log shape shot a- away downstream into the night. Aragorn in- stared in his sleep, turned over, and sat up. What is it? he whispered, springing up and coming to Frodo. I felt something in my sleep. Why have you drawn your sword? Gollum, answered Frodo, or at least so, I guess. Ah, said Aragorn, so you know about our little footpad, do you? He padded after us all through Moria and right down to Nimrodel. Since we took to boats, he has been lying on a log and paddling with hands and feet. I have tried to catch him once or twice at night, but he is slyer than a fox and as slippery as a fish. I hoped the River Voyage would beat him, but he is too clever a waterman. We shall have to try going faster tomorrow. You lie down now, and I will keep watch for what is left of the night. I wish I could lay my hands on the wretch, we might have you might make him useful, but if I cannot but if I cannot, we shall have to try and loose him. He is very dangerous, quite apart from murder by night on his own account. He may put any enemy that is about on our track. The night passed without Gollum showing so much as a shadow again, and that the company kept a sharp lookout, but they saw no more of Gollum while the voyage lasted. If he was still following, he was very he was wary and cunning. At Aragorn's bidding, they paddled now for long spells, and the banks went swiftly by. But they saw little of the country, for they journeyed mostly by night and twilight, resting by day, and lying as hidden as the land allowed. And this way, the time passed without event until the seventh day. The weather was so gray and overcast with wind from the east, but as evening drew into night, the sky away westward cleared, and the pools of faint light, yellow and pale green, opened under the gray shores of cloud. There, the white round of the new moon could be seen glimmering in the remote lakes. Sam looked at it and puckered his brows. The next day, the country on either side began to change rapidly. The banks began to rise and grow stony. Soon they were passing through a hilly, rocky land, and on both shores there were steep slopes buried in deep brakes of thorn and slough, tangled with brambles and creepers. Behind them stood low-crumbling cliffs and chimneys of grey-weathered stone, dark with ivy, and beyond these again there arose high ridges crowned with wind-ridden firs. They were drawing near to the grey hill country of the Emon Mule, the southern march of Wilderland. There there were many birds about the cliffs and the rocky chimneys, and all day high in the air flocks of birds had been circling. black against the pale sky, as they lay in their camp, the day Argon watched the flights doubtfully, wondering if, wondering if Gollum had been doing some mischief, and the news of their voyage was now moving in the wilderness. Later, as the sun was setting, and the company was stir- stirring and getting ready to start again, he described a dark spot against the fading light, a great bird high and far off, now wheeling, now flying on slowly southwards. "'What is that, Legolas?' he asked, pointing to the northern sky. Is it, as I think, an eagle? Yes, said Legolas. It is an eagle, a hunting eagle. I wonder what that forebodes. It is not far from the mountains. We will not start until it is fully dark, said Aragorn. The eighth night of their journey came. It was silent and windless. The gray east wind had passed away. The thin crescent of the moon had fallen early into the pale sunset. But the sky was clear above, and though far away in the south, there were great ranges of cloud that still shone faintly, and the west stars glinted bright. Come, said Aragorn, we will venture one more journey by night. We are coming to reaches of the river that I do not know well, for I have never journeyed by water in these parts before, not between here and the rapids of St. Gerber. But if I am right in my reckoning, those are still many miles ahead. Still, there are dangerous places even before we come there. Rocks and stony eos in the stream. We must keep a sharp watch and not try to paddle swiftly. To Sam, in the le- to Sam, in the leading boat, was given the task of watchman. He lay forward, peering into the gloom. The night grew dark, but the stars above were strangely bright, and there was a glimmer on the face of the river. It was close on midnight, and they had been drifting for some while, hardly using the paddles. When suddenly Sam cried out. Only a few yards ahead, dark shapes loomed up in the stream, and he heard the swirl of racing water. There was a sif- swift current, which swung left, towards the eastern shore, where the channel was clear. As they were swept aside, the travelers could see, now very close, the pale foam of the river lashing against sharp rocks that were thrust out far into the stream, like a ridge of teeth. The boats were all huddled together. there are going!' shouted Boromir, as his boat bumped into the leader. This is madness. We cannot dare the rapids by night, but no boat can live in St. Sa- Gerber, be it night or day. Back, back, cried Argon. Turn, turn if you can. He drove his paddle into the water, trying to hold the boat and bring it round. I'm out of my reckoning, said Frodo. I did not know that we had come so far. Anduin flows faster than I thought. St. Gerber must be close at hand already. With great efforts, they checked the boats and slowly brought them about, but at first they could make only small headway against the current, and all the time they were carried nearer and nearer to the eastern bank. Now dark and ominous, it loomed up in the night. Altogether, paddle, shouted Boromir, paddle, or or we shall be driven on the shoals. Even as he spoke, Frodo felt the keel beneath him grate upon stone. At that moment, there was a twang of bowstring. Several arrows whistled over them, and some fell among them. One small Frodo between the shoulders, and he lurched forward with a cry, letting go his paddle. But the arrow fell back, followed by his hidden coat of mail. Another passed through Argonne's hood, and the third stood fast in the gunwale of the second boat, close by Mary's hand. Sam thought he could glimpse black fingers, running to and fro upon the long shingle shingle banks that lay under the eastern shore. They seemed very near. Yes, said Legolas, falling into his own tongue. "'Orcs!' cried Gimli. Gollum's doing. I'll be bound,' said Sam to Frodo. and a nice place to choose, too. "'The river seems set on taking us right into their arms.' "'They all leaned forward, straining at the paddles. "'Even Sam took a hand. "'Every moment they expected to feel the bite of black-feathered arrows. "'Many whined overhead or struck the water nearby, but there were no more hits. "'It was dark, but not too dark for the night-eyes of orcs, "'and in the star glimmer they must have offered their cunning foes some mark.' Unless it was that the great cloaks of Lorien and the great timber of the Elphirot boats defeated the malice of the archers of Mordor. Stroke by stroke they labored on. In the darkness it was hard to be sure that they were indeed moving at all. But slowly the swirl of the water grew less, and the shadow of the eastern bank faded back into the night. At last, as far as they could judge, they had reached the middle of the stream again and had driven their boats back some distance above the jutting rocks. Then, half-turning, they thrust them with all their strength towards the western shore. Under the shadow of bushes, leaning out of the water, they halted and drew breath. Legolas laid his paddle and took up the bow that he had brought from Morian. Then he sprang ashore and climbed a few paces up the bank. Stringing the bow and fitting an arrow, he turned, peering back over the river into the darkness. Across the water, there were shrill cries, but nothing could be seen. Frodo looked up at the elf standing tall above him. As he gazed into the night, seeking a mark to shoot at it, his head was dark, crowned with sharp white stars, and glittered in the black pools of the sky behind. But now, rising and sailing up the south, the great clouds advanced, sending out dark outriders into the starry fields. A sudden dread fell upon the company. Elbereth Gelfanil, sighed Legolas as he looked up. Even as he did so, a dark shape like a cloud, and yet not a cloud, for it moved far more swiftly, came out of the blackness in the south, and sped towards the company, blotting out all light as it approached. Soon it appeared as a great-winged creature, blacker than the pits in the night. Fierce voices rose up to greet it from across the water. felt a sudden chill running through him and clutching at his heart, there was a deadly cold, like the memory of an old wound in his shoulder. He crouched down, as if to hide. Suddenly, the great bow—the great bow of Lorien sang Shrill went the arrow from the elven string. Frodo looked up. Almost above him, the wind shape swerved. There was a harsh, croaking scream as it fell out of the air, vanishing down into the gloom of the eastern shore. The sky was clean again. There was a tumult of many voices far away, cursing and wailing in the darkness, and then silence. Neither shaft nor cry came again from the east that night. After a while, Argon led the boats back upstream. They felt their way along the water's edge for some distance until they found a small shallow bay. A few low trees grew there close to the water, and behind them rose a steep rocky bank. Here the company decided to stay and await the dawn. It was useless to attempt to move further by night. They made no camp and lit no fire, but lay huddled in the boats, moored close together. Praise be the bow of Galadriel in the hand and eye of Legolas, said Gimli, as he munched away for a, wa- a wafer of lumbass. That was a mighty shot in the dark, my friend. Who can say what it hit, said Legolas? I cannot, said Gimli, but I am glad that the shadow came no nearer. I liked it not at all. Too much reminded me of the shadow in Moria, the shadow of the Balrog, he ended in a whisper. It was not a Balrog, said Frodo, still so shivering with the chill that he had that had come upon him, it was something colder, I think it was, then he paused and fell silent, what do you think, asked asked Boomer eagerly, leaning from his bow as if he was trying to catch a glimpse of Frodo's face, I think, no, I will not say, answered Frodo, whatever it was, was its fall has just made our enemies, so it seems, said Aragorn, Yet yet where they are, and how many in weight and what they will do next we do not know. The night we must all be sleepless. Dark hides us now. But what the day will show, who can tell? Have your weapons close to hand. Sam sat tapping the hilt of his sword as if he were counting on his fingers and looking up at the sky. It's very strange, he murmured. The moon's the same in the Shire and in Wilderland, or it ought to be. But either it's out of it but either it's out of its running, or I'm all wrong in my reckoning. You'll remember, Mr. Frodo, the moon was waning as we lay on the flat up in that tree, a week from the full, I reckon, and we'd been a week on the way last night, when up pops a new moon, as thin as a nail paring, as if we had never stayed no time in the elvish country. Well, I can remember three nights there for certain, and I seem to remember several more, but I would take my oath, and it was never a whole month. Any more would think that time did not count in there. "'And perhaps that was the way of it,' said Frodo. "'In that land, maybe, we were in a time that was el- that has elsewhere long gone by. "'It was not, I think, until Silverlode bore us back to Enduin "'that we returned to the time that flows through mortal lands to the great sea. "'I don't remember any moon, either new or old, in Carlos Galadon. "'Only stars by night and sun by day.' "'Legolas started in his boat. "'Nay, time does not tarry ever,' he said. "'But change and growth is not in all things and places alike.' For the elves, the world moves, and it moves both very swift and very slow. Swift because themselves change little, and all else by fleets. All and all else fleets by it. It is grief to them. Slow because they need not count the running gears, not for themselves. The passing seasons are but ripples ever repeated in the long, long stream. Yet beneath the sun, all things must wear to an end at last. But the wearing is slow. And Lorien, said, "Frodo, the power of the lady is on it." which are the hours, though they seem short though short they seem, in Karaskaladam, where Galadriel wields the Elven Ring. That should not have been said outside, Lorien, not even to me, said Aragorn. Speak no more of it, but so it is, Sam. In that land you have lost your count. The time flows swiftly by us, as for the elves. The old moon passed, and a new moon waxed and waned in the world outside while we tarried there. And yestereve, a new moon came again, Winter is nearly gone. Time flows on to a spring of little hope. The night passed silently. No voice or call was heard again across the water. The travelers huddled in their boats felt the changing of the weather. The air grew warm and very still under the great moist clouds that had floated up from the south in the distant seas. The rushing of the river over the rocks of the rapids seemed to grow louder and closer. The twigs of the trees above them began to drip. When the day came, the mood of the world about them had become soft and sad. Slowly the dawn grew to a pale light, diffused and shadowless. There was mist on the river, and a white fog swathed the shore. The far bank could not be seen. I can't abide fog, said Sam, but this seems to be a lucky one. Now perhaps we can get away without those cursed goblins seeing us. Perhaps so, said Argorn, but it will be hard to find the path unless fog lifts a little later on. We must find the path if we are to pass Sarn Gerber and come to the Emin Mule. I do not see why we should pass the rapids or follow the river any further, said Boromir. If the Emin Mule lie before us, then we can amend it, abandon these cockle boats and strike westward and southward until we come to the e- Endwash and cross into my own land. We can, if we are making for minus three, said Argorn, but that is not yet agreed, and yet such a course may be more perilous than it sounds. The Vale of Entwash is flat and finny, and the fog is a deadly peril there for those on foot and laden and laden. I will not abandon our boats until we must. The river is at least a path that cannot be missed. "'But the enemy holds the eastern bank,' objected Boromir. "'And even if you pass the gates of Argonath "'and come unmolested to the Tindrak, what will you do then? Leap down the falls and land into the marshes?' "'No,' answered Argorn. "'Say rather that we will bear our boats by the ancient way "'to the Rower's foot and t- there take to the water again. "'Do you not know, Boromir, or do you choose to forget "'the north stair and the high seat upon Ammonhen "'that were made in the days of the great kings?' I at least have a mind to stand in that high place again, before I decide my further course. There, maybe, we shall see some sign that will guide us. Bormer held out long against this choice, but when it became plain that Frodo would follow Argo, and wherever he went, he gave in. It is not the way of the men of Minas Trias to desert their friends in need, he said, and you will need my strength if ever you are to reach the tin rock. To the tall owl I will go, but no further. There I shall return to my home alone if my help has not earned the reward of any companionship. The day was now growing, and the fog had lifted a little. It was decided that Aragorn and Legolas should at once go forward along the shore, while the others remained by the boats. Aragorn hoped to find some way by which they could carry both their boats and their baggage to the smoother water beyond the rapids. Boats of the elves will not sink, maybe, he said, but that does not say that we should come through Cern Gerber alive. None have ever done so yet. No road is made by the men of Gondor in this region, and e- for even in their great days the realm did not reach up and beyond the Emyn Mule. But there is a portage way somewhere on the western shore. If I can find it, it cannot yet have perished. For light boats used to journey out of the Wilderland down to Osgiliath, and still do so until a few years ago, when the orcs of Mordor began to multiply. Seldom is my life that has any boat come out of the north in that, in the orcs prowl on the east shore, said Boromir. If you go forward, peril will grow with every mile, even if you find a path. Peril lies ahead on every southward road, answered Aragorn. Wait for us one day. If we do not return in that time, you will know that evil has indeed befallen us. Then you must take a new leader and follow him as best you can. It was with a heavy heart that Frodo saw Aragorn and Legolas climb the steep bank and vanish into the mist, but his fears proved groundless. Only two or three hours had passed, and it was barely midday when the shadowy shapes of the explorers appeared again. All is well, said Aragorn, as he clambered down the bank. There is a track, and it leads to a good landing that is still serviceable. The distance is not great. The head of the rapids is half but a half is but half a mile below us, and they are little more than a mile long. Not far beyond them, uh, the stream becomes clear and smooth again, though it runs swiftly. Our hardest task will be to get our boats and baggage to the old portage way. We have found it, but it lies well back from the water side here, and runs under the lee of a rock, rock, rock wall, a furlong or more from the shore. We do not find where the northward landing lies. If it still remains, we must have passed it yesterday night. We m- might labor far upstream and yet miss it in the fog. I, fr- I fear we must leave the river now and make for the portage as best we can from here. That would not be easy even if they were- we were all men, said Boromir. Yet such as we are, we will try it, said Argorn. Aye, we will, said Gimli. The legs of men will lag on a rough road while a dwarf goes on. Be, b- be the burden twice his own height, Master Boromir. The task proved hard indeed, yet in the end it was done. The goods were taken out of the boats and brought to the top of the bank where there the, was a the level space. Then the boats were drawn out of the bank, water, and carried up. They were far less heavy than had, than had expected. Of what tree growing in the elvish country they were made, not even Legolas knew. But the wood was tough and yet strangely light. Merry and Pippin alone could carry their boat with ease along the flat. Nonetheless, it needed the strength of the two men to lift and haul them over the ground that the company now had to cross. It sloped up away from the river, a, a tumbled waste of grey limestone boulders, with many hidden holes shrouded with weeds and bushes. There were thickets of brambles and sheer dells, and here and there rocky pools fed by waters trickling from the terraces further inland. One by one, Boromir and Aragorn carried the boats, while the others toiled and scrambled after them with the baggage. At last, all was removed and laid on the portageway. Then, with little further hindrance, save from sprawling bears, briars, and many fallen stones, they moved forward altogether. Fog still hung in veils upon the crumbling rock wall, and to their left misshotted the river. They could hear it rushing and foaming over the sharp shelves and stony teeth of Sangerber, but they could not see it. Twice they made the journey before all it w- before all was brought safe to the southern landing. The portageway turning back to the waterside ran gently down to the shallow edge of a little pool. It seemed to have been scooped in the riverside, not by hand, but the water swirling down the Sarn Gerber against a low pier of rock that jutted out some way into the stream. Beyond it, the shore rose sheer into a great cliff, and there was no further passage on those of, uh, for those on foot. Already the short afternoon was past, and a dim, cloudy dusk was closing in. They sat beside the water, listening to the confused rush and roar of the rapids hidden in the mist. They were tired and sleepy, and their hearts were, gloom- were as gloomy as the dying day. Well, here we are, and we must pass another night, said Boromir. We need sleep, and even if Argon had a mind to pass the gates of Ar- Argonath by night, we are all too tired, except no doubt our sturdy dwarf. Gimli made no reply. reply. He was nodding as he sat. Let us rest as much as we can said, can now, said Aragorn. Tomorrow, we must journey by day again. Unless the water changes once more and cheats us, we shall have a good chance of flipping through, unseen by any eyes of the eastern shore. But tonight, we must watch together in turns, three hours off and one on guard. Nothing happened that night worse than a brief driv- drizzle of rain as hour before dawn. As soon as it was fully light, they started. Already the fog was thinning. They kept as close as they could to the western side, and they could see the dim shapes of the low cliffs rising ever higher, shadowy walls with their feet in the, in the hurrying river. In the mid-morning, the clouds drew down lower, and it began to rain heavily. They drew the skin's covers over their boats to prevent them from being flooded and drifted on. Little could be seen before them or about them through the gray falling curtains. The rain, however, did not last long. Slowly the sky above grew lighter, and then suddenly the clouds, the clouds broke, and they draggled their fri- draggled fringes trailed away northward up the river. The fogs and the mist were gone. Before the travelers lay a wide ravine with a great rocky side to which clung upon shelves and the narrow crevices a few thorn trees. The channel grew nearer and the river swifter. Now they were speeding along with little hope of stopping or turning, whatever they might meet ahead. Over them was a lane of pale blue sky, around them the dark overshadowed river, and before them black shutting out of the sun, the hills of Emond Mule in which no opening could be seen. Fredo peering forward saw in the distance two great rocks approaching. Like great pinnacles or pillars of stone, they seemed. Tall and sheer and ominous, they stood upon either side of the stream. A narrow gap appeared between them, and the river swept the boats towards it. Behold the Argonoth, the pillars of the kings, cried Argorn. We shall pass them soon. Keep the boats in line and as far apart as you can. Hold the middle of the stream. As Frodo was borne towards them, the great place rose like towers to meet him. Giants, they seemed to him vast grey figures silent but threatening. Then he saw that they were indeed shaped and in fashioned. The craft and power of old had brought upon them, and still they preserved through the suns and rains and forgotten years the might like the mighty like likenesses like in which they had been hewn. Upon great pedestals founded in the deep waters stood two k- great kings of stone, still with bird eyes and crane cranied they Rose, fr- they frowned upon the north. The left hand of each was raised palm to outwards a gesture of warning. In each right hand there was an axe. Upon each head there was a crumbling helm in the crown- and crown. Great power and majesty they still wore, the silent ward- wardens of a long vanished kingdom. Awe and fear fell upon Frodo, and he cowered down, shutting his eyes and not daring to look up as the boat drew near. Even Boromir bowed his head as the boat swirled by, frail and fleeting as little leaves, under the enduring shadow of the sentinels of Numenor, as they passed into the dark ch- chasm of the gates. Sheer rose the dreadful cliffs to unguessed heights on either side. Far off was the dim sky. The black waters roared and echoed, and a wind screamed over them. Frodo, crouching over his knees, heard Sam in front, muttering and groaning. What a place, what a horrible place. Just let me get out of this boat, and I'll never wet my toes in a puddle again, let alone a river. Fear not, said a strider voice behind him. Frodo turned and saw strider, and yet not strider, for the weather-worn ranger was no longer there. In the stern sat Aragorn, son of Arthorn, proud and erect, guiding the boat with skillful strokes. His hood was cast back, and his dark hair was blowing in the wind. A light was in his eyes, a king returning from exile to his own land. Fear not, he said, long have I desired to look upon the like likenessness of El- Isildur and Arnaran, my, my sires of old, under the shadow of Elisar, the elfstone, son of Arthorn, of the house of Ab- Vel- Valendil's Isildur's son, the heir of Elendil and not to dread. Then the light of his eyes faded, and he spoke to himself. With that Gandalf for here, how my heart yearns for menace and Nora in the walls of my own city. But whither now shall I go? The chasm, the chasm was long and dark, and filled with the noise of wind and rushing water and echoing stone. It bent somewhat towards the west, so that at first all was dark ahead. But soon Frodo saw a tall gap of light before him, ever growing. Selfily it drew near, and suddenly the boat shot through, out into a wide, clear light. The sun, already long fell, fallen from the noon, was shining in a windy sky. The pent waters spread out into a long oval lake, pale Ninhithil, fenced by steep gray hills whose sides were clad with trees, but their heads were bare, cold gleaming in the sunlight. At the far southern end rose three peaks. The midmost um, the stood somewhat forward from the others and sur- sundered from them an island in the waters, about which the flowing river flung pale shimmering arms. Distant but deep there came upon the wind a roaring sound like the roll of thunder heard far away. Behold, tall branders, said Argorn, pointing south to the tall peak. Upon the left stands Amin law and upon the right is Amun-Hen, the hills of hearing and of sight. In, these, in the days of the great kings there were high seats upon them, and watch was kept there. But it is said that no foot of man or beast has ever been set upon toll brender. Ere the shade of night falls, we shall come to them. I hear the endless voice of Robert's calling. The company rested now for a while, drifting south on the current that flowed through the middle of the lake. They ate some food, and then they took to their paddles and hastened on their way. The sides of the westward hills fell into shadow, and the sun grew round and red. Here and there, a misty star peered out. The peaks loomed before them, darkling in the twilight. Rores was roaring with a great voice. Already night was laid on the flowing waters when the travelers came at last under the shadow of the hills. The tenth day of their journey was over. Wilder land was behind them. They could go no further without choice between the east way and the west. The last stage of the quest was before them.